Hey there all you hepcats, cool kittens, you guys and dolls, you diesel-powered disciples of cool. This is the Diesel-Powered Podcast, the voice of Diesel Punk, and I am your host, the comic book-loving, time-traveling, diesel-punk, prophet of pop culture, John Pica, also known as the King of Swing, the Tower of Power, Big Daddy Cool. You can call me Johnny. And I am coming at you live from the diesel-powered mobile studio, a.k.a. my Suburban. And (laughs) coming to you live mobile and uh, reporting on the release of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Now, I've waited until I've seen it twice. To, uh, to give a full review, and I want to warn you up front, there are going to be some spoilers, so if you have not seen the movie yet, and you don't want any spoilers, uh, you don't want to listen to this, this microcast. Um, first of all, uh, some of you might be wondering, well, why is Johnny talking about Star Wars on the Diesel Powered Podcast, a diesel punk podcast? Well, for those of you who've been longtime listeners, you know that I have long maintained that Star Wars is diesel punk. And I, I have several reasons to support that, but primary, primary among them is that Star Wars fits the criteria. It's contemporary in origin. So whether you feel like the diesel era goes through 1945 or 1957 like I do, anything made after that point is considered contemporary. So Star Wars certainly fits that criteria. Originally created in 1977, it has the aesthetics of the diesel era, the 1920s through the 1940s. And Star Wars definitely has the the pulp adventure uh, aesthetics, the movie serial aesthetics, especially when you look at some of the source material, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, uh, Captain Midnight, those movie serials have a very uh, strong influence on the visual aesthetic of Star Wars. And you especially see that in the prequels, episodes 1, 2, and 3. You see the Art Deco architecture, the uh, stylized uh, Deco styling in the ships and and, uh, whatnot. And you really see that Buck Rogers and and Flash Gordon uh, influence in the prequels even stronger than, than the original trilogy, although it's there. And in interviews with George Lucas, he has said over and over that his inspiration was those classic pulp movie serials. So you've got the aesthetics of the uh, of the diesel era, and then you've got the punk aspect of sci-fi and fantasy. And of course, you cannot de- deny that Star Wars is definitely science fiction and fantasy mashed up. You've got this this fusion of magic and technology, mythology and and you know, future tech. It's um it is it is 
one of the hallmarks of diesel punk. Now, is Star Wars a movie that if someone said, well, what is diesel punk? Would I hand them a copy of the Star Wars movie and say, this is, this is diesel punk? Probably not. And, and that's where a lot of people take issue with me. I would, I would hand them, you know, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, The Rocketeer, Captain America, First Avenger, uh, Dark City. Those would be first on my list. But as you're getting further into, you know, diesel punk and the aesthetics and, and the definitions, it becomes clear that you can see that Star Wars fits the bill. Now, there are those of there are those in the community who say, well, John, it's not diesel-based uh, fuel. And and I would argue that even uh, because George Lucas, is, Lucas has stated uh, in, in an interview that uh, in A New Hope, when you see them fueling the X-Wings with hoses, he says it's petroleum. It's a petroleum-based fuel. You know, what else would it be? Um, R2-D2... Uh, obviously uses oil in his hydraulics because he uh, you know covers the floor with oil sets it on fire and then when you look at the uh, the technology of the ATAT walkers the ADATs the the ATSTs uh, they're clearly hydraulic driven vehicles uh, which rely on petroleum and in Rogue One, we see all of these elements being tied together even further. So let's talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I'm going to talk about the good stuff first, and then we'll talk about some of the things that I had issues with, and that's where the spoilers are going to come in. So you've got your spoiler alert right now. So the good. The good is we got a lot of great, really likable, relatable characters. Uh, Cassian, Jyn Erso, um, uh, Sherrit, the uh, the blind force temple monk, um, Blaze, uh, the uh, the pilot, um, oh, what was the pilot's name? Um, Booty. Pilot, uh, uh, Booty was his name. Um, director uh, Craddock, and um, really great characters. Uh, oh, even Galen Urso, Jen Urso's father. All of the characters were, even the bad guys were likable, relatable, and um, really strong, strong characters. And for a single movie to be able to introduce so many strong characters and flesh them out in such a short time the way they did, and, and have you become endeared to them is really, really a testament to the to the screenwriters. Uh, so that was really good. Also among the good is uh, the the aesthetics. The this movie had a very World War World War Two feeling to it. You know, in in the episodes one through three. We see that shiny city on the hill. Kind of, I, I relate it to if if the original trilogy and the the original the prequel trilogy were side by side. You know, the the prequel trilogy would be like The Great Gatsby, while the original trilogy would be like Saving Private Ryan. And you really see that uh, that contrast here. So the prequel trilogy has the bright, shiny. 
you know, Art Deco, uh, you know, newness to it, the the smooth, streamlined lines and, and architecture, um, like you like you would have had in the twenties, and this movie has you know the the more clunky technology, the war-driven technology, and a lot of people have 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 criticized the the prequels for this point, saying, well, their their technology was more advanced than the prequels. And I, I would just say, have you seen what happens to technology under a tyrannical government, under tyranny? Look at the Soviet Union. Their technology did not advance. Their, their technology uh, diminished. It became, you know, run down, held together with, you know, duct tape and bailing twine. And you really get that sense in Rogue One. And, and you understand kind of more of the used universe that um, we see in A New Hope. Um, you, you understand that the Empire is spending their money on you know, weapons of war and not so much art, culture, and cutting-edge technology. They are, they are building weapons to destroy planets, and that is the plot of the movie. You know, the Death Star is getting built, and this small band of rebels are going to steal the plans to make sure that they can destroy it. Um, but you really see that, that, that wartime technology... Um, in the vehicles, in in the clothing, the uniforms, very World War II style. And in, in that regards, you know, we see the classic Empire that we saw in A New Hope, the classic stormtroopers, um, the the admirals, the generals, the moths on the Star Destroyers and the Death Star with that Hugo Boss, you know, Germany-inspired. Uh, uniform and um, really truly uh, a really great testament to the diesel era and the diesel era war aesthetics you really get that sense of you know the the German occupation and and there's a scene in in Rogue One where stormtroopers are in a tank and there's a platoon flanking the tank and they're going down the streets of Jeddah and you it really brings to mind the German occupation of France of Paris and when the German tanks came rolling down the streets of Paris and um, really great callback and the director Gareth Edwards he's even said there were about 12 movies World War II movies that served as the visual inspiration for this movie and um, you can go online and, and look at that list but um, that that World War II aesthetic really comes through and that's really great another great great part of Rogue One the characters the aesthetics the overall tie-in to the rest of the saga there are parts of the movie that really pay homage to the uh, to the prequel trilogy. There are references to uh, different uh, parts of the prequel trilogy. Um, there are a lot of references and a lot of tie-ins to the Clone Wars animated series and Rebels animated series. In particular, 
uh, the character of Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker, is a character that was introduced on the Clone Wars animated series, kind of the founder of the Rebel Alliance. Um, so that was awesome. The Death Star we find out is powered, it's, you know, destructive power is powered by kyber crystals. And if you are a fan of, of Star Wars and the Clone Wars series, you know that kyber crystals are the crystals that power the Jedi lightsabers. And so basically, the Death Star is a gigantic lightsaber. That is why it is so destructive. So um, that was a nice nod to the Clone Wars. Uh, also, uh, it ties in really nicely with the Rebels animated series. Um, we see scenes of, you know, the ships going into the battle, and one of the ships you can see there is the Ghost, which is piloted by Hera Syndulla in Rebels. And earlier on at Yavin 4, uh, you can hear General Sindula being paged. Uh, General Sindula report to so-and-so. And in one scene, you can see the droid Chopper from uh, Rebels. So that's really cool that they you know, tied in Rebels to Rogue One. And then moving forward, uh, the... Uh, you know the 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 tie-in to a new hope this story really it takes place five minutes before a new hope starts just about and um, that was really nice now the last really great thing is two really great things um, and this is huge spoiler if you've not read it Grand Moff Tarkin Peter Cushing does make an appearance. Actually, it's a huge appearance. Uh, using CGI face mapping on another actor's body, they have uh, brought back Grand Moff Tarkin pretty, pretty flawlessly. And uh, he plays a major part. Darth Vader plays a major role. Now, they had diminished Darth Vader's role coming into this, but he has a major, major part, and it is James Earl Jones doing the voice. Um, one of the great things about Vader, though, that we see in this movie, uh, two things. We finally get to see Castle Vader on the planet Mustafar. Now, this is something that was referenced in George Lucas's original treatment, you know, in his original uh, notes in the in the novelization uh, you know it talks about his, Vader's castle on the volcanic planet we never see it uh, in the films until now it is a very cool gothic art deco castle it looks like something from Buck Rod well, Flash Gordon it looks like Ming the Merciless's castle um, some people have compared it to Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones as well because it's got that fantasy element to it. And I can see that. Um, they don't name the planet in the movie, but Pablo Hidalgo of Lucasfilms, who is one of the you know head guys in the creative department, has verified that it is Mustafar where Vader has built his castle, which is an ironic twist that he builds his castle on the planet where he met his greatest defeat and was transformed into the monster that he is but that's a good thing we see that and then at the end of the movie 
we see Vader be the total Dark Lord badass that every fan always knew that he was, but we've never had the opportunity to really see it on film. And um, he just takes out an entire platoon of rebel soldiers solo. And very similar in feeling and style to that scene in Captain America Winter Soldier where Steve Rogers is in the elevator with all of those S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who have been assembled to take him down. And he just takes them out one at a time uh, with very little effort. Well, Vader does it with even less effort. Very similar feel. These overwhelming odds and he just, man, he just tears them apart. Vicious, brutal, perfect. Um, those were the good things. Those were the really good things. And, you know, if you're a fan of Star Wars and of the Star Wars trilogy, you're going to find very few things to nitpick with this film. However, I did have... Oh, I forgot one other good thing. Um, another callback to the Clone Wars on... Um, on the prison planet of uh, Wobani, where uh, Jin Erso is incarcerated, we uh, we see one of the armored tanks, one of the armored transports that was first introduced in the Clone Wars animated series. That's another tie-in to the Clone Wars. Now, the things to nitpick, and there are very few, and they're very small. Um, first of all, there was no opening crawl. We've come to expect that from Star Wars movies, and we understand that this is not a part of the Skywalker saga, and so they're reserving the opening crawl for the Skywalker saga. I get that, but I still wanted it. I still missed it. Um, so that's a minor, minor quibble. Some people didn't mind it. You know, the Clone Wars theatrical movie release didn't have an opening crawl. The animated series. Clone Wars and, and Rebels doesn't have it. Um, so I get it. I get it. Uh, minor quibble. Um, while there was some John Williams music or some of the themes, like Darth Vader's theme, we heard uh, the uh, Rebel Alliance theme. Da 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 dum bum 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 not enough of John Williams music. Now the music was great and uh, it was it was really fantastic and for any other movie it would be a truly superior film score. I just really wanted more of Williams music. Luckily we did get the uh, final credit fanfare at the end. That was great. Um, but throughout the movie, I would have liked to have heard more of John Williams' music. John Williams' music is the oxygen, and it was there, I, just not enough for me. Um, again, a minor quibble. Um, one of my complaints is that they overused Tarkin. Now, the first time that I saw, t saw the movie, um, I was not real pleased with... Uh, with the CGI that they used for the face mapping of Tarkin. On that screen that I first saw it, high definition screen, it looked obviously CGI to me. It was it was painfully so. My second viewing, I saw it on a different screen, and to be quite honest with you, the second time I couldn't tell. 
I had to remind myself that, okay, that is not Peter Cushing. That is, you know, a CGI face on another actor's body. Um, really well done. Really well done. But I would have preferred less Tarkin. He's in a lot of scenes. And I, I think he would have been more effective if we had seen him less. Um, as a matter of fact, the, one, the first scene that we see him... He's introduced through a reflection in the glass looking out at the completion of the Death Star. I would have preferred to just see his face through that reflection and, and hear his voice. That's a personal thing for me. But I think he was overused. Now, they did some other CGI face mapping on some of the other characters, um, like uh, Red Leader uh, in the uh, Battle of Scarif. And... Um, uh, that was cool, uh, you know, it wasn't really noticeable, um, but the really noticeable one, and, and this is kind of something I, a critique I have, is, and this is a big spoiler, guys, so if you haven't read this yet, this is your warning. Spoiler alert, the CGI for Princess Leia was not as strong as Tarkin's. Now, she appears for 30 seconds at the end of the movie, uh, Captain Antilles brings her the disc with the uh, stolen plans on it and uh, says, do you know what this is? And she says, yes, you've given us hope. And, uh, you know, at first you see her just with her back turned and then the camera pans and, you know, shows her face and she says, hope. And I, I, I really could have done without the final reveal of her face. I would have been happy if we just saw her, the back of her with the white robe and again just maybe heard her voice say you've given us hope. Um, again a minor quibble and some people probably won't have the same reaction to it that I did. As an actor, as a performer, the CGI that they used kind of scared me to death because it it tells me that, you know, they don't need me uh, as I am to be an actor. They just need my body, uh, and, and sometimes maybe not then. And, and how long will it be until we're replaced completely with CGI? Um, now, that's been going on for years, even as far back as, as Attack of the Clones. You know, all of the clones in Episode 2 were CGI. Well, in Phantom Menace, all of the Gungans and uh, the battle droids were CGI. Um, so one of the big complaints about the prequels is one of the biggest weaknesses of Rogue One, in my opinion, is that there's an overuse of CGI. Just, that, that's, that's kind of my feeling. Um, so very few minor critiques of the film. Overall, it was a very worthy addition to the Star Wars saga and the Star Wars mythos. I'm not sure where I would place it in, uh, you know, in my ranking of favorites. Empire Strikes Back is still my all-time favorite. Um, I would play this, place this one above Force Awakens, uh, The Force Awakens, rather, uh, but I'm not sure... You know, it made me really anxious to go back and see the prequels, actually, because Vader was so strong in this movie and so dark, um, and Vader's story is one that I'm, I'm just really 
fascinated with and enamored of and um, to see what brought him to this point in Rogue One is is a cool story and you know me I'm a I'm a prequel apologist and we'll talk about that some other time but um, really strong I you know what I might put this one as my third favorite of the Star Wars movies um, you know, not as good as Empire Strikes Back, better than The Force Awakens. I, I'm still a big fan of The Phantom Menace, and I would keep The Phantom Menace as my second favorite. And mainly that's because of the aesthetics. I, I love the Art Deco styling and the the Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon styling of The Phantom Menace, but maybe Rogue One is my third favorite really really strong and uh, worth going to see worth you know taking the family get the big large popcorn and have a lot of fun I'd love to hear your thoughts about Rogue One in particular your thoughts about Star Wars as diesel punk you can send us an email feedback at dieselpoweredpodcast.com that's feedback at dieselpoweredpodcast.com drop us a line let us know what you think also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can like us at Facebook at facebook.com slash dieselpoweredpodcast. We're on Twitter at dieselpodcast. And um, like us, follow us, you know, interact with us there. Post your comments and uh, let us know what you think about the podcast and, and what you think of uh, Rogue One in particular. Um I also want to remind you that we've just launched the brand new Man in the High Castle uh, roundtable series with Eric Fisk and Larry Amiat. So be listening to that. Tune into that. We have a new episode coming up uh, shortly. And uh, they'll be reviewing the Man in the High Castle season two week by week. Uh, also, visit our sponsor, Audible. Uh, Audible audiobooks. They've got over a hundred thousand titles that you can choose from, and you could make your free title my book, Tales from the Flip Side. What a great Christmas present that is. If you love audiobooks, and I guess you do because you're listening to the show, this is a great way to get it. Now, Tales from the Flip Side, I just happen to think is a great book to get, but you could get any of the Star Wars books that they have, whether it be canon or legends. Um, over 100,000 titles on us, free, just for checking them out. Go to audibletrial.com slash dieselpoweredpodcast and you can pick any of their over 100,000 titles to try for free. No obligation, yours to keep whether you remain a member, subscribe, or not. audibletrial.com slash dieselpoweredpodcast. Well, guys and gals, that's it for this week. I'll be coming back to the uh, Diesel Powered Podcast on a regular basis in February. We're also going to be launching a new series here on the Diesel Powered Podcast called Tales from the Flip Side, based on my adventures and uh, syndicated through the Diesel Powered Podcast and Comic Extravaganza and some other networks. So be on the lookout for that and more news. But, um, 
check out the man in the high ca- the man in the high castle roundtable. We got a holiday special coming up. All kinds of cool stuff. Make sure you visit us at www.dieselpoweredpodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher, Google Play. Leave us a good review. Give us four stars. Make it good. Well, guys and gals, that's it for me. So until the next time, swing hard, swing often. We'll catch you on the flip side.